Today, one can contact just about anyone else instantly. However, communication wasn't always that way. In fact, at one point in history, a message to the Americas from Britain that arrived in a month was considered fast. So when the first instant communication known as the electric telegraph became available, the world was revolutionized. Although invented by the British, the United States would eventually become renowned for its telegraph system, some of which has actually survived to modern day. This is the story of America's telegraph system. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. Today, we will discuss a pinnacle moment for human interactivity and an invention that brought many severe privacy complications to the world. Telegraphic messages were sent via long-distance wires and could easily be intercepted by unwanted listeners. Fortunately, in the digital era, when sending data worldwide, we have a straightforward solution for what would otherwise be a dangerous privacy problem, NordVPN. With NordVPN, you can protect your communication and personal data when visiting your favorite websites wherever and whenever. This exceptional product makes hacking close to impossible. Try enhanced features such as the onion over VPN, double encryption, and stealth capabilities to guarantee you are protected no matter what country you are visiting. I need to emphasize, this technology takes you off the radar of anyone looking to tamper with your data. So put your mind at ease with the best internet security possible. Furthermore, Thanks to NordVPN, you can keep up with your favorite series by accessing streaming services around the world, get better prices on travel, and access your social media with no restrictions. So go to nordvpn.com slash itshistory to get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And now, back to the history of the telegraph. Before and during the American Revolution, messengers carried most communication via ship or horseback. Back then, the closest thing there was to wireless communication were carrier pigeons of all things. As the nation grew out west, horse relays expanded to carry more messages a further distance. The early 1800s saw a development of stagecoaches for taking mail. These mail coaches had their own roads developed, which were much higher quality than the nation's other roads. These special mail routes permitted use only by mail coaches, keeping other horses and coaches off of them in order to limit damage. However, as the nation grew westward, the postal service found that the coaches didn't quite make the cut. After all, how do you traverse a mail road if there aren't any roads beyond the trails just blazed. As a result, the westward expansion saw a resurrection of the traditional horseback courier. They could make these journeys on any road, be it wild and untamed or incorporated and safe. Eventually, these relays became the Pony Express, a transcontinental horse relay that could take a letter from Missouri to California in 10 days. Many notable figures found their start on the Pony Express, such as William Buffalo Bill or Pony Bob, the Pony Express was one of the driving factors of America's obsession with the Wild West, a fascination that lasts until today. Despite having a speed that no other courier service could match and a lightning, a quintessential American fascination, the Pony Express was incredibly cost inefficient. So after a little over a year of service, it fell away in favor of a more financially stable venture, the electronic telegraph. 
The need for a fast method of communication was always there, and America was not the first to develop the telegraph. The definition of telegraph isn't inherently electronic. Instead, it's as broad as a system to transmit messages. Considering this, the earliest telegraph systems were the signal fires used in ancient China to warn of invasion, along with Egypt and Greece. In a way, they can claim to be the creators of the first telegraph system. The smoke from the tower would cause the next in the relay to light their fire, and within an hour, the capital would know that borders were breached. Similar signal systems involved mirrors reflecting light in a code, drum beats, or even war horns. You might even say that America's very creation hinged on a telegraph message at one point, the lantern signal during Paul Revere's ride, to communicate to the patriots which route the British would take during their advance. Thanks to this call, the American Revolution began with a patriot advantage. The year 1800 saw the creation of the very first battery by the Italian physicist Alexandro Volta, the namesake of the measurement volt. This advancement allowed for electric power storage and was one of the first steps towards developing actual electrical equipment. 20 years later, another significant development in electronics came around. Danish physicist Hans Christian Ersted proved the link between electricity and magnetism through a demonstration, deflecting a magnetic needle with an electronic current. With this new feat, an enormous wave of scientific experimentation and exploration washed over the world. While many separate projects popped up, they all often had similar goals chief among these goals was securing a better communication system. This was the wave that eventually bore the telegraph, and historians generally credit five scientists with its creation. Two of the scientists were British, Sir William Cook and Sir Charles Wheatstone, and the other three were American, Alfred Vail, Leonardo Gale, and Samuel Morse. The British duo found success first creating a machine that moved around five needles through electricity, which would point at a panel of letters and numbers to convey a message. With the first electric telegraph created, railroads in Britain quickly adopted them into regular service. These systems put on full display the innovation of the British for the world to see, and among the people learning of this innovation was Samuel Morse, a Massachusetts-born graduate of Yale. Starting his career as a painter, Morse was sailing back to America from Europe when he first heard about the telegraph. Funny enough, he overheard a conversation about electromagnetism. When he landed back in America, he consulted Joseph Henry, another physicist in the States, and learned more about the topic from him. Putting his knowledge to the test, he teamed up with Vale and Gale to design a telegraph all of their own. This telegraph design was the model most people are familiar with, a single current with a single button called the operator key. The operator only needs to press down the key to complete the circuit, transmitting a signal. This signal travels through a wire to a receiver on the other end, conveying a message. The whole telegraph system only required an operator key, a battery, and a wire connected to the receiver. However, a question remained. How does one communicate a message through a single set of beeps? Morris was one of the first to ask this question, so he and Vale developed an answer of their own, a collection of codes that linked letters and numbers to a series of long and short presses. This new method of communication became known as Morris Code, 
and was written down in codebooks as a series of dots and dashes, signifying a short and long press, respectively. Letters like E got a more concise code, as code writers typed them very frequently, while letters like Q had a much more complex code, as they appeared much less often. The original design's receiver printed out the code on paper, and the operators would translate it into English from there. However, as operators became more familiar with Morse code, they understood it as it clicked out from the receiver, without even reading the paper. In response, developers of the telegraph removed the printer and the paper altogether, replacing it with a modified receiver that announced the code louder with a series of beeps. Morse code is still widely used, even today. One of the most universally recognized signs of distress originates from Morse code. SOS, the internationally recognized distress signal, derived from Morse code. It was simple to type, three short clicks, three long clicks, and then another three short ones, which in an emergency is a blessing. Interestingly enough, SOS has no official definition, while some claim it stands for save our souls or save our ship, the point is made regardless. Morris received a patent for the single-circuit electric telegraph in 1938, eventually splitting it with his partners. However, at that point, other methods of communication still had general favor. It would take several years for the electronic telegraph to catch on. Since the visual telegraph in Britain was created first and was already in circulation for years, not many saw the point of adopting an entirely new system. However, the United States had not taken in the visual telegraph. They were still communicating via courier services, and they were looking for a better method. As a result, when Morris approached Congress in 1843, asking permission to build an experimental line between Baltimore and Washington, they gave him a grant of $30,000 for the project. On May the 24th, 1844, the line was completed. Morris sent a test message to Vail, echoing one of the first messages mirror signal telegraphs sent, which was, if you succeed, you will bask in glory. And amazingly, the message went through. Morris realized how big the telegraph would become. However, he also had to admit that he had insufficient experience in business to match it. As a result, Morris brought on Amos Kendall, a former postmaster general and member of Andrew Jackson's so-called kitchen cabinet, a group of unofficial advisors the president had after his falling out with the vice president in 1831. Morris tasked Kendall with managing all of his business affairs, as he was much better suited for that line of work. Morris also knew the dangers of miscommunication with this new, instant method, and had made Vale acutely aware of them. Months after the telegraph entered regular operation, Morris told him, be especially careful not to give a partisan character to any information you may transmit, encouraging him to remain politically neutral in any messages he sent. In all of his instructions to his subordinates making transmissions, he stressed the importance of objectivity and accuracy. A single wrong character or a misspelled word could mean the difference between a successful diplomatic venture or a scandal with the telegraph. After all, one can't proofread a series of taps. By 1848, Morris's business partnership had extended to a group of four people. There were the initial creators, Samuel Morris, Alfred Vail, and Leonardo Gale. Morris added former Maine representative F.O.J. Smith to the partnership, without whom Morris would have never obtained 
the government grant. This partnership involved splitting the patent rights four ways. While Amos Kendall managed the three investors' quarters, Smith maintained direct control over his quarter of the patent rights. The terms of the agreement were vague, to the point that Kendall and Smith actually wound up in conflict over it. However, the nation needed a communication network, and they didn't care about squabbling patent holders, so they required a compromise. The partnership decided to divide up the patent on the United States map. This compromise gave Smith control of the telegraph networks in New York, New England, and the rest of the upper Midwest of the United States. And Morse got the rest of the country. Well, it was a revolutionary system in the Americas. Funding was difficult to come by. Morris initially sought to sell his portion of the patent to the government. Well, that didn't work out. He tried to sell it to Kendall, scores of other businessmen, and even Smith, but nothing came of it. Eventually, they resorted to selling it piece by piece to regional investors. These sales eventually accumulated in some of the most profitable initial lines, connecting New York, Washington, Buffalo, Boston, and New Orleans. Morse also licensed the creation of breakaway lines for businesses in these cities. Generally, the only places one could find a telegraph was where it was essential. Individual homes didn't often have them. Now, Morris and his team weren't the only people developing telegraphs. Rivals quickly began appearing, claiming to possess better and faster communication. 1846 saw the patent of Royal House's telegraph model, and 1849 had Alexander Baines, but this time Morris had the advantage of being the first one to the party. As expositions began to sweep the nation, showing off what the best and the brightest American minds had created, Morris's telegraph was front and center. The country fully began to understand the significance of this creation and paid it forward in droves. The admiration wasn't just in the country. Establishments overseas took note as well. One such leader was the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, who personally tested the telegraph and bestowed an order of glory upon Morris, the second highest merit decoration the empire had to offer. Morris was one of 30 ever to receive this decoration. Other decorations for the telegraph came pouring in as time went on. However, the United States would not grant him any honors until he neared his death in the 1870s. The telegraph continued. By the 1850s, 10 separate companies were operating telegraph lines in New York City. Three different lines ran from New York to Philadelphia, another three from New York to Boston, and four from New York to Buffalo. In total, the Bureau of Census reported 71 different companies with a combined total of over 21,000 miles of telegraphic wire running through the country in 1851. While quantity was a major driving force in these competitions, speed eventually began to win out over accuracy. As the companies continued their game of industrial one-upmanship, messages began to come out garbled and confused. Due to the primary market of the telegraph being business, and given that miscommunications are very bad for business, trouble was on the horizon. Across the nationwide signal, 
a single message might pass through five separate firms. So with the liability of bad information, many businesses opted not to receive any messages at all, claiming it would be better to receive no message than an incorrect one. For others, the inability to receive a message wasn't even a choice. The firm's connections frequently lost messages altogether, and no one firm would take responsibility for it. One might look at this and have the reasonable thought that perhaps these firms should have laid out some industry standards of quality, no one really felt the need. The customers would throw a fit, but there wasn't a single entity they could complain to. The blame would just be passed around until the customer moved on. So they would either just get used to it completely or disconnect themselves from the ever-growing network. With quality declining and profits rising, many telegraph networks suddenly couldn't look to their competitors for expansion. These firms began subsumizing other firms through two methods. Horizontal integration, which integrated two companies, and system integration, which integrated two connecting firms. System integration primarily happened between 1846 and 1852, with main lines sweeping up most of the feeder lines in the country. However, 1852 saw a Supreme Court ruling declaring the Bain Telegraph, the competitor that debuted in 1849, to violate Morris's patent. As a result, the Bain lines merged with Morris's lines. By 1853, there were six leading firms in the United States, the American Telegraph Company, the Atlantic and Ohio Telegraph Company, the New York, Albany and Buffalo Telegraph Company, the Western Union Telegraph Company, the New Orleans and Ohio Telegraph Lasses, and the Illinois Mississippi Telegraph Company. These six companies began negotiation in 1853. By 1857, they had all signed the Treaty of Six Nations, which was just a pooling agreement despite sounding like a treaty that would have ended a world war. The Six Nations Alliance owned both houses and Morris's patents and established regional monopolies in their respective states. Integration wasn't complete yet though. Throughout the next 10 years, the final phases of integration would occur, merging all firms into a single national monopoly on the telegraph. By 1866, they had subsumed the rest of the smaller telegraph companies, and the Western Union Telegraph Company absorbed its final competitors, becoming the undisputed monopoly of the American telegraph. But what about communication overseas? The telegraph wasn't just thriving in the United States. As it grew, nations worldwide began to cement their alliances with one another by connecting them with a telegraph cable. One of these nations was the United Kingdom, which wanted to cement their partnership with the United States, finally burying the hatchet for the American Revolution. However, there was one major issue, the Atlantic Ocean. One of America's significant advantages as a global power was that it was the only major power in the New World. The Atlantic Ocean separated the United States from any European land grabs, but it also quite literally kept it a world away from its allies over there. 1856 saw the Atlantic Telegraph Company, made up of two British engineers and an American investor, attempt to bridge the gap between the two nations with a cable running across the ocean floor. The 
HMS Agamemnon and the USS Niagara took on the initial attempt in 1857. From Ventia, Ireland, the two ships loaded the heavy insulated cable and ran it along the ocean floor as they made their way towards Newfoundland. Unfortunately, the line snapped part of the way through the journey, so they abandoned the maiden voyage. A year later, they tried again to lay that same cable, the one from the initial attempt, but it was in poor shape beaten and deteriorated from the weather. This cable quickly became a nuisance for the team laying it, who had to cut out ruined lengths and splice in new ones. The two ships started from both landing points and planned to meet in the middle of the ocean. However, a slew of storms and more damage delayed the process, requiring more interceptions. By August 1858, the cable finally connected the two parts of the world, and immediately problems began. The British thought that a large electric charge would get the messages across the Atlantic, but when they pumped 2,000 volts through the cable, all it did was damage the already battered line. In its three-week lifespan, the first transatlantic telegraph cable sent 732 messages before expiring, and the messages were not of a good quality either. After the American Civil War, the United States saw another installation effort as a worthwhile venture and installed a second cable in 1866. This installation had far fewer snags and was of much higher quality, serving the two nations very well. The next 30 years saw five more transatlantic cables placed down, and the Allied nations would use them frequently until 1965, where they put other communication ventures in place. The first message sent across the Atlantic by the telegraph cable read, Glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace and goodwill toward men, and took 17 hours and 40 minutes to transmit. Curiously, although we have now moved onto fiber optic cables rather than copper, the techniques in placing them and protecting the cables are extremely similar. Broken cables require a very elaborate repair procedure. The approximate distance to the break was determined by measuring the resistance of the broken cable. The repair ship navigated to the location. The cable was hooked with a grapple and brought up on board to be tested for electrical continuity. Buoys were developed to mark the ends of good cables and a splice was made between the two ends. The idea of a cable from the 19th century sitting on the seabed was actually my inspiration to make this video, but not much seems to be known about the physical cables. Here's what BBC has to say on the topic. Made of a 5mm copper wire core wrapped in a protective casting of tar hemp and steel. This short section of the first transatlantic telegraph cable was salvaged from the ocean floor off the west coast of Ireland in 2003. It had laid there disguised and superseded by many successive cables for 137 years. The company that laid it no longer exists and it is the sole property of the salvager. Western Union's dominance would last until the turn of the 20th century. In 1867, at the beginning of its dominance, yearly messages were around 5.8 million. At the turn of the century, that number increased well over tenfold to 63.2 million. As message frequency went up, prices went down. Through the same period, the average cost of a message was about $1.09, which is about $20.37 in today's money. 
Eventually, the price for a telegraph went down to about 30 cents, which is $9.88 today. Western Union saw 30 to 40% per dollar in profit, even with the lower prices. However, all these years of dwindling accuracy were starting to catch up to them. New competition offered better quality. The government was also increasingly meddling with the company since they were the first nationwide industrial monopoly. Lastly, a new invention had also stepped onto the scene and threatened to complete the outdated telegraph, the telephone, which we're currently researching for another video. So make sure you click subscribe and ring the bell. That way you won't miss it. Anyhow, the first rival that stepped up to challenge the Western Union was the Atlantic and Pacific Telegraph Company in 1847, a union of newer lines and some older ones that Western Union missed in its integration campaigns. Led by James Gould, he wanted to make sure that Western Union didn't fall into the hands of the other monopoly popping up in America at the time, the Vanderbilt dynasty, and his greatest ambitions were realized when Western Union merged with Atlantic and Pacific in 1881. The Postal Telegraph Company posed a much more permanent threat. Led by John Mackey, who bought out the existing bankrupt firms and merged them into an extensive enough network to compete, they never could challenge Western Union's dominance. Still, they did hold 10-20% to 20 of the market at any given time. The government wasn't too keen on the idea of a nationwide industrial monopoly. Western Union held over 90% of the telegraph market share in every state. While many state governments still had problems with the federal government after the American Civil War, they found common ground in their dislike of Western Union's dominance. While the states couldn't protest all that effectively, the federal government introduced bills suggesting either strict regulation or entry into the industry at nearly every session of Congress. Thanks to extensive lobbying, Western Union was able to block most legislation, and what laws did pass either were never enforced or only enhanced its market control. Apparently, when it comes to corporate lobbying, nothing changes but the date. However, the biggest threat to Western Union's dominance was a fresh new technology on the scene. Alexander Graham Bell and his talking telegraph. Bell offered Western Union a deal for the telephone patent for $100,000, which is $2.5 million in today's money. Western Union declined the offer, a move that they very quickly came to regret. They had a chance to purchase AT&T in the 1890s, but their upper management opted for higher dividends over expansion. So as the new competing technology expanded, the telegraph declined. And as the turn of the century came and went, the telephone remained a rising star, beginning to outshine the telegraph at nearly every bend. However, for the time being, telegraphy held the advantage of inexpensive long distance and international communications. It also had other methods of communication such as the teletypewriter, telex, and stock ticker, but nothing was enough to save the sinking ship. After 1900, the telegraph slowed to a halt. In 1909, Western Union's inaction in acquiring AT&T came back to bite them major. The telephone company purchased a staggering 30% of its stock, gaining control over the whole company as its largest shareholder. As the rising star continued to shoot upwards, Western Union stagnated. AT&T attempted to bring its old foe back into the spotlight, but this time using the Sherman Antitrust Act, the Department of Justice broke up Standard Oil, 
another monopoly, in 1911, fearing complete disillusion, AT&T and Western Union separated in 1913. With that separation, smaller telegraph companies, including Postal Telegraph, attempted to connect with AT&T by lobbying for government regulation. And to put the nail in the coffin of any ideas of government intervention, AT&T put out the Kingsbury Commitment, a statement that confirmed their intent to separate from Western Union and allow independent telephone firms to connect. The last significant telegraph message in American history was probably the Zimmermann Telegraph in 1917. The German Empire attempted to convince Mexico to invade the United States. That message was sent through the transatlantic telephone cable, a cable that just so happened to be owned by the United Kingdom. When Britain showed that message to the United States, well, that was upon one of the last straws needed to enter World War I. The Great Depression would doom the telegraph industry, causing it to hit never-before-seen lows. Despite Western Union and Postal Telegraph's merger in 1945, the telephone's rise was already too far along to stop. While it still finds use sparsely today, the telephone has almost completely replaced it. The American Telegraph was one of the first times communication could be considered truly fast. While it wasn't the near instant speeds of today, it was the first step towards interconnectivity that allows you to watch this video. Its importance and effect can't be understated. So just consider this. The news of the American Civil War breaking out came to San Francisco in a little over a week via horseback. And that was fast back then. But notice of the war's conclusion arrived within an hour. A speed accredited to the wonder of the telegraph. So please keep this story and others like it alive by sharing our videos, subscribe to its history, and until my next tale of urban decay, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.